Welcome to Let Go, Lean In, my podcast designed with transformational leaders like you in mind. I'm Lise Lewis, your transformational leadership coach. In each episode, you'll find help growing awareness of your mindset as a leader, be equipped with a tool to let go of unrealistic expectations and self-limiting beliefs that get in the way of your one precious life. My goal is for you to thrive as you lean in toward the leadership call God has put on your life. Join me and other leaders as we let go and lean in together. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Let Go Lean In, our transformational leadership podcast. I'm really excited today to have with us my friend and colleague, Trina Lee. You'll find out why we're colleagues in a bit. And just to um, get to have her share her wisdom and experiences around women in leadership. She's had a lot, and I'm excited to have her. So, Trina, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Lisa. I'm excited for this conversation. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming because as I go through and read your bio, people are going to recognize, oh, wow, this, this probably has been put off and had <laughs> to find a good time because you're a busy woman. And uh, I think that's, that's a beautiful thing that you're willing to take this time and, and share that with others. So let me share your bio, which is really exciting. And I'm just going to read it so that I give everybody all the right details. So here we go. Trina is a sixth generation Oregonian. And right there, we have to stop and think, my goodness, I want to touch back to Oregon Trail. Um, and is passionate about connecting people to people and people to good things. She has over 18 years experience working as a nonprofit professional and currently works for two organizations. Trina leads the US sponsorship team of Africa New Life, which is transforming the lives of over 10,000 students in Rwanda. She also manages the Forward Mentor Program and has personally paired over 600 mentor pairs together. That's a lot. Again, welcome, Trina, for taking the time out of your very busy life to, to be here with us today. So let's get right to it. You know, I, because you've listened, you know I'm about you know, growing awareness and getting the tools that we need to be equipped to thrive in the one precious life that God has given us to live. And as women leaders, connecting those dots is just a passion of mine. So when you thought about my three questions and thought back to an early experience of leadership, what bubbled up for you? I had a really hard time with this question, Lisa. Oh, um, okay. I had a hard time thinking of a time when I didn't think I was a leader. Oh, I like that answer. <laughs> oh. But it doesn't mean that I always thought I was an effective leader, right? So I think I've just I've always been drawn to leadership and roles that had the word leadership or classes that had leadership in it. I mean, I remember in middle school when it came time to sign up for um, classes in high school, I wanted to sign up for the leadership class. And um, my guidance counselor actually 
said, why don't you sign up for an agriculture class because then you can be involved in FFA, which is formerly known as Future Farmers of America, because there's some leadership in that organization. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been drawn to it. Um, and I can't think of a time that I wasn't thinking about it or engaging with it in some way. Wow. That's amazing. I love that. Now you and I are obviously in different generations. So that's a plus. Yay. <laughs> that your entire memory has been around being involved in, in either being a leader or learning more about leadership. And that, uh, has been something that my hope has been for the next generations behind me because that hasn't always been the case uh, for women in mm -hmm. particular and mm -hmm. and ffa is a great organization for leadership development mm -hmm. and speaking skills and you know leading a meeting and all kinds of things is there is there any uh any one of those experiences that stands out where you recognize oh yeah not everybody and you use the word effective and of course we're all on a journey so our effectiveness is uh transformational <laughs> hopefully but was there a time when you were in ffa that you said oh okay yeah i am a leader anything stand out yeah there's i think the very first yeah so i so i joined ffa i was in an agriculture class all through four years of high school i actually then got elected to a state office so i took a gap year yeah. and travel around the state of Oregon for a year. Um, but yeah, I, you're right. I can think of a defining um, time that happened. We um, would have a leadership camp uh, and our district would go to it in September. So it was one of the first activities that I did as a freshman. Oh. Um, and they would make each one of us have some sort of, you had to sign up for a speaking part. Or, and, uh, and so they kind of broke up speaking contests in all these different ways. And so literally I signed up to introduce the rituals competition. So I wasn't even speaking. I was just introducing, okay. you know, who was maybe on the stage, you know, yeah. but then I won, you know, I won first place for that introduction. So I think that that probably was the first time that I saw that I could be effective or had success mm -hmm. in public speaking. Mm -hmm. um, and definitely um, FFA was phenomenal as far as, you know, just, modeling leadership and and just it really i would always say it really is about leadership that was really and it became a catalyst for so many things that happened in life where i went to college and what i studied and and oh, other wow. as i was thinking about this question it feels like sometimes leadership expression happens in different forms you know so i think when you're growing up you um you know i was also part of 4-h so you're 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 filling maybe roles or titles you know right. you're sometimes more in positions where you're kind of influencing peers but do you really know if you're that effective in influencing your peers you know <laughs> well, um there might then, be some outcomes that would tell yeah. you whether you were effective or not <laughs> um and then you know if I, if I look through my college years i was you know in lot i i think in college i probably realized that you could have influence, even if you always didn't have a certain title or a position. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think I probably realized then that I was able to influence the faculty of my department and just by the questions I would ask or, you know, and, and therefore then was getting invited to, you know, serve on committees that were maybe interviewing new professors. So I could, I, I was able to see like, you didn't have to always have a formal title to be able to have influence among, um, you know, especially even people leading up, right? Mm. And then through my 20s, I led a ministry. So once again, you're kind of leading peers and volunteers. 
Right. Um, and then I oversaw organizations, but never really had um, direct reports. And so, so I think I developed, so I think I've got, gone, gained more confidence as you kind of go through different seasons and different expressions of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really only been in the last five years that I've had direct reports Okay. Um, and so I think that's been a different form of leadership, you know, where you're really, you know, if we, if we think that like a third of our lifetime is spent working, you know, what kind of culture are you creating as a leader? How are you advocating for the compensation, you know, of your, of your team? Mm-hmm. Are you creating a, a safe space, you know, emotionally, psychologically for them to engage in the work that they're doing? And so I'd say like having now responsibilities of direct reports and leading a team has felt kind of a, even a greater level of responsibility of leadership, which looks very different than having a title and, you know, giving speeches maybe when I was 18, 19 years old. Yeah, no, I, I love everything that you've shared because even in that journey that you've, you know, outlined the, the high points or, or just the, the trajectory, you're talking about transformational leadership because you were learning and growing in awareness and skills and the elements that you just outlined about the value and importance of your way that you interact with your direct reports, 100% transformational leadership. You just hit this whole thing right out of the park, Trina. Thank you so much. I hope everybody's paying attention to these things because the real tool in all of this is awareness right? Being aware. You talked about two words that I'd love to have you unpack just a little bit more because there's a mindset that we can have around effectiveness and influence. Mm -hmm. And I would just love to hear your mindset about it. What is it? What does it mean for you to be an effective leader? And what does influence look like? if you, if you don't mind, because those, you didn't get to prepare for those. Those are off the cuff. (laughs) No, but I I have thought about the word effective. And if I look back at even that year that I was a state officer for Oregon FFA, and I think there was like an internal confidence and we had, I was on an outstanding team, just really accomplished individuals who did excellence in all that we had done leading up to that year. And so I, I think internally, I knew that we were doing a good job. We, we traveled around the state. We were in, I think I went to over 30 high schools and gave, you know, we kind of took over the day and you would do leadership presentations all day, classroom presentations. And so like, I knew, I knew we were doing good, but it was an interesting season because we had, um, we had a, our state advisor never gave us feedback and it was a really it was a, it was a hard year. Um, it was almost like the feedback of how well we were doing was almost being withheld. Um, and so it's like, you kind of internally knew you were doing a good job, but sometimes I think, you know, different, different influences or expressions of leadership doesn't always give you that direct information about, you know, is it going well? Is, are you making an impression? You know? Um, so I do remember kind of at the end of that year, having some really mixed feelings, like, kind of wondering like, were we, if, you know, were, was I a, as effective as I had hoped I had been? Mm. But I think there was just a, a lack of kind of that, that feedback loop. And we, we created it a little bit after we would do leadership camps and we would, 
we found a way to kind of do evaluations with the students that we were working with during these camps and things like that. So I think as I've gone also, or more recently, I think in life, the last couple of years, I've really been leaning into that feedback. Like, what does it look like to get feedback? How do you create a culture of feedback, especially if you're maybe, if not as prevalent in the, in the organization you're working in. Right. So I've been really trying to lean into learning how do I get feedback from, especially those in my direct reports, what does it look like to ask questions that are going to solicit feed, um, information from them? And how are you going to build trust to actually get the honest feedback? That's so you know? good. And so that's taken, and I, I'm still like, I, I feel like I'm just kind of really beginning that journey. And so, you know, like a, a question that I um, got from another forward woman here in Portland was, asking the question of my direct reports, what is one thing you can count on me for? And what is one thing you can't count on me for? Ooh, that's great. Because you are inviting authenticity mm -hmm. in the structure of those two questions. And, and how has that played out? Have you been able to present those to your, your direct reports? Yeah, we've been, yes, we've been practicing it, right? So it's like asking the question and it's interesting to see, you know, I definitely have different team members who are more quick to give feedback and those who need more time to think about it or, and so I think it's, it's that honoring their feed, their feedback and listening to it and then showing that you've actually taken action or you're trying to work, you're trying to grow in that other area. Yeah. Um, and so those are, I think, the things I've been leaning into more. And I can think back of a time, the very first time I went to Rwanda, too, of just that, like, that listening, that, that really trying to listen well to anything that's slightly critical or, or, or confusing. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, when I was touring around Rwanda for the first time and going to into one of our, our um, sponsorship offices, and they would write out the sponsorship numbers on the wall, and um, the coordinator, Fred, said, yeah, the numbers don't always add up, you know, like as far as, you know, the number of new students minus the students that their pledges were closed, you know, and I, and I was like, yeah, you're right, they don't. And I, and I knew, I knew on the back end why that was, but I was like, oh, I can fix that. Like I can, I can do more work to make things better. Um, and so I think it's like really listening into those little things that people might say, especially like in that case, it's cross-cultural. Mm -hmm. It is really, it is harder for me to get um, constructive feedback, you know, from my Rwandan colleagues, but it is really listening to any, any sense of a frustration or, you know, another thing that came up in that, in that first visit was you always are asking us for this information and we've given it. And so it was like completely reframing the, report, the spreadsheet we were sending and, and completely overhauling that whole process. Um, but it, it was really listening to some really slight comments and they weren't trying to be, um, you know, critical, but realizing, oh, there's an opportunity to grow there. And I, so I think as leaders, we sometimes are going so fast or so busy um, that we don't really have that listening ear for that feedback. So both listening well, but then also actually asking for it. Yeah, inviting it. That's, that's really, mm -hmm. you know, a big piece of what it means to be an effective leader, because you are, as you mentioned before about your direct reports, you're creating the culture where they feel safe, and are able to give feedback and, and ask harder questions and ask for help even because in some team situations, 
there isn't room for vulnerability. There isn't room for the potential for not being able to follow through with something that's on your plate, you know, that idea of, of failing. And, and so that gets heightened, I would imagine, as you lead, as you, you know, mentioned cross-culturally, what is it like to lead in a global organization that has different ways of approaching an issue that might be conflict uh, oriented, for lack of a better way to say. I mean, what is that actually like? That listening you talked about, but how do you give feedback? How, you know, and then invite it? Yeah, cross-culturally, you know, relationship time is really important in that that face-to-face time. Mm. So normally I have the opportunity to go to Rwanda twice a year, but of course with COVID, you know, that um, I haven't been back. It's been over a year since I've been there. Several lining season is that my colleagues are more in the office. So I've actually been able to Skype with them more consistently. Um, But yeah, but that relational time is really significant, you know, to be able to invest in that time and to, um, and, and to get to know them. And that, that helps a lot with communication and also just laughing when we make mistakes and don't understand each other or, you know, or reminding each other of I'm giving you the, you know, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt, you know, give me the benefit of the doubt in this, in this circumstance, but. Right. You know, the other word that you had mentioned that truly has come up in many conversations and even in, in my studies of organizational leadership and transformational leadership in particular, is the concept of influence without title that we influence in the way that we move through the world. And, and without the title of leadership, you highlighted a few of your experiences where you were influencing, or were you really influencing your peers, right? That, that question of like, well, you know, what's the outcome of, of the influence? Do we see changed behaviors? That's the outward part, but what about the inward part, which, you know, we, we can't really measure. I guess there are long-term studies that they could measure things like that. But what is it, what kind of influence have you experienced from other leaders that you've then taken to heart? Like the two questions that you learned from another woman in forward in, in the Portland area, what, what's another example of influence that you would want to share with the listeners? I I think that sometimes that we learn more about leadership when it's bad, right? Like (laughs) the absence of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the absence of it often inspires us greatly to do it differently than how we've seen it done. Yeah. Um, But then also, I think there are also, you know, positive experiences that can plant seeds of ideas of how, you know, how you can do something differently. Um, A story that a favorite story is I was tr- in transition between jobs. And so I ended up serving as a, an educational assistant. I was hired for a very short time. I think it was like two months to work with kindergartners for half a day. But the first day that I showed up on the in school, which is actually like the elementary school that I'd gone to, there was like a welcome card and a, and a, and a small gift. And it was like, welcome to the team. And so that to me was that seed of like, realizing, I mean, I was the lowest person on the totem pole, was there for a very short amount of time, but it, it was, for me, was a great leadership example of what does it look like to welcome people? What does it look like to onboard someone, to bring them to a team, even when they're going to be here for a very short period of time? Oh. Um, and so I think that you asked the question, like, how do you influence when you're not 
in a position of authority or have a title. I think the ways that I probably have done it consistently the most are asking questions. Of course, even that can be challenging sometimes, like how do you ask the questions or, you know, not sounding critical, but, you know, asking questions of others, I think in leadership or around you, and then also just providing resources. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, I love podcasts. That's why it's fun to, to be interviewed on one, but I'm always like, I think I'm always like listening to podcasts or if there's a book that I think is good is, is my brain is always kind of clicking through who else mm-hmm. should need this or hear this. And so I think that that's a way that you can influence regardless of where you are in an organization or in a group or even within your friends and your family circle is by the questions you're asking of other people, right. by the questions you're maybe even sharing that you're asking of yourself mm, and then other resources or books that you are reading that you might find beneficial. Right. Right. And that's, that's so beautiful that you have dovetailed that question about influence into resources, which my next official question is, do you have a particular tool that you are using and finding both, you know, helpful and effective in continuing to develop your leadership skills? So here you go, T-ball, you, you set it up for me. There it is. <laughs> I think of a lot, uh, I would say the leadership philosophy I've, I've had, I've had my entire life is like work smarter, like not longer. Um, so I think I've, have always tried to lead into how to make things better and more efficient. I think even in the last couple of years, being more aware of those habits that you have that make life so much easier when something becomes on autopilot and you have good rhythms and routines around things. A tool I use right now is Michael Hyatt's full focus planner. I'm good about using it for like, you know, tasks, but I'm not, I'm really trying to work on the habit of the weekly preview because I know it will be a game changer to slow down Mm. and to reflect Mm -hmm. and ask the question, the prompts that are in that part of his planner, which is really just the question is like, what's working, what's not working, what do you need to improve? I mean, they're not, they're not, it's not rocket science questions, but it's just creating that space you know, to, to do that reflection. Um, and a word I haven't used yet is that self-leadership, but that's something that I've kind of more learned from Jenny Katrin over the last two years is like, what does it look like to lead yourself first, you know, yeah. before you're leading others? Yeah. A tool that I passed along to you is a worksheet that I created for my team. I call it Head Above the Clouds worksheet because I realized when doing annual reviews two years ago that even though I have my team do like a weekly report that does ask them like, what were your wins for the last week? You know, what are you working on this next week? What do I need to know as your manager? What do I, you know, how can I support you? You know, how, another question is, how are you, how are you growing professionally? Mm. So even though I had that tool in place, I realized that in particular, one of my team members probably didn't really have enough bandwidth or margin in her work week to really do that deeper kind of, reflection. And so I then have started doing quarterly uh, retreats with one day quarterly retreats with my team to try to give us a space to just pause and to kind of get above the clouds and to ask ourselves those questions like what, you know, what, um, what is a word that would describe our work in the last six months or the last three months? Mm -hmm. Um, What's working? What's not working? And then the question is if, if you're, you know, the person next to you, said that they had this challenge at work, how, what advice would you give them? It's that, you know, I think that self-coaching, right? Like we often know what we should be doing. We're not always doing it, but sometimes it helps to think about if someone else had this challenge, 
what advice would we be saying to them about that? So, and then we've gone around and we've shared those that and helped each other kind of reflect back on, you know, affirming, you know, what's good and what's been going well, but also maybe helping each other problem solve how we can tackle something differently. So I think that that's where it feels like we have creating spaces for that because it's really hard um, to do it, you know, even when you want to be doing it in your daily work life, you know, and there's so much, yeah, there's just so much, so many things that make it difficult to kind of um, carve out that time to be reflective. So true. And, and to like summarize one thing that it sounds like using the tool of the full focus planner and then asking those questions and providing that time and those spaces and recognizing that's challenging to push back and, and have those uh, actually get to happen for both for yourself and then the, the team collectively. Intention, right? We, it is hard to be intentional when there are so many things that are coming at us. And I think if there's anything that, that we could say to other leaders, it's like make that a priority for yourself so that you can lead yourself well. And by extension, when you're leading yourself well, you're going to model that for the people that are in work relationship as well as life relationship. As you mentioned, you know, the questions that you're asking yourself and the questions that you ask when you're in, you know, group together, whether it's work or, or family or friends. And I think that's the big message of transformational leadership is to recognize what am I being intentional about and what do I need to be able to fulfill that intention? And then how do I keep showing up? You know, who, who do I, who do I need for accountability and, and all of those things. And so I love that you have created this tool that is specific to those kinds of intentions. And, and, I am so happy that you're talking about sharing it because that'll be something that other people can piggyback off of, if not just simply download and say, hey, look, I can make this work here and give you credit for the creativity and, and the intention of creating that tool. So thanks. That's that's awesome. I I wonder in this era that we find ourselves in. I've decided that, you know, the one word for 2020 that I wouldn't have anticipated is unprecedented. So the yep. word of 2020, is, I hear that all the time. It's like my reticular activating system is alert to that. And every day, someone has said that word. In any case, it, leading in these times and being intentional has its own set of challenges. And, and I just wonder if there's a pivot that you've had to experience that you, you know, you can encourage other leaders with that you found helpful. I think that we have to be really honest about what's happening right now. So another colleague gave me the word um, compounded grief. Ooh. And so if we look at globally, you know, COVID is affecting everyone. And we get, I get reminded of that on a weekly basis. The, the opening question I ask my colleagues, I inter, uh, Skype with two of them weekly, is how is COVID affecting you? And it's a constant reminder of like, this is not just, this is not just a, 
um, a virus or a pandemic that is, you know, in the US, it's, this is global, and, and seeing how that's um, manifested itself in another country, especially a developing country. Right. Um, and so we have, you know, we have, we have the, we have the pandemic. Um, we have nationally, we have this, and even globally too, uh, a growing awareness of racial injustice. Um, which is long overdue, but right, that, that, that's, that's, that's creating a, I think it's a positive thing, but it's still, it's still an, an aspect of us trying to learn what does it mean to lament and grieve, um, especially for our, our U.S. history. You know, I talk about the fact of being, you know, proud to be an Oregonian, but even that is now difficult when you start to like read the history about how Oregon was founded and it being founded as a white utopia. And so that's complicated, right? Like, like to be both proud of having ancestors who came here before it was a state and also um, reconciling that what is our, what is actually our, our organ history that I wasn't taught growing up. Um, and then this fall regionally, there was, I mean, just so much grief. Um, we had, um, you know, the fires that happened uh, so the state of Oregon, a mega fire is one that's 100,000 acres have burned. I, I read that, it, you know, in the last 100 years or really, or 1900s, we had six of those mega fires in Oregon, but in, in the month of September, we had five. And like, we literally could not physically breathe for two weeks here. I had tape on my door. My sister's home was, was very close to one of the mega fires, mm-hmm. uh, but like we couldn't physically breathe and it, like you couldn't go outside. Like it, it, it became like, I could tell the difference between like very unhealthy to hazardous right. and the air quality. Um, I live outside of Portland and then we have individual grief, you know? And so right. in, in the team that I lead, you know, we have a, you know, someone whose father has passed away mm-hmm. this, this year. Uh, we have divorce, we have potential divorce. So I think right now we're just in a season where um, there is compounding grief And there's not really any way to escape it. And it's something that we communally are all sharing in, but it is making this year unprecedented. I mean, yeah, it's a word that's getting overused, but it really, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. Right. And so I think a a recent shift for me, especially like during the fires, it was really challenging, just feeling like the sense of like, when can you get rest from a respite from, from this? knowing intellectually that the fires were going to eventually burn out, you know, and so that w- that part was going to come to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read something, a blog post by David Kinnaman, his family is experiencing some hard times. And in that blog post, he talked about hope and humor. And it, it has helped me kind of reframe like mm-hmm. what we're going through right now, as far as, yes, I can, I can have hope. You know, my hope is in, as a believer is in Jesus Christ. And so that's where it's anchored at. It's not anchored in, you know, a vaccine or um, who's in office or who's not in office. Um, And so, or, you know, will we ever, you know, are we, what is our climate looking like? So the hope isn't, so it's region, you know, it's remembering where your hope is anchored at or just knowing at least where, what is your hope in Um, and then looking for humor, right? So um, we know that even when we are grieving, we can still laugh and we can, there can still be things that are funny. And so trying to lean into the things that I think that are funny. Um, but yeah, this whole, I, I did have, going into this pandemic, I did, I think I was reminded of the Stockholm syndrome about just mm. that it's better to think that this is going to be longer than what, it, than thinking it's going to be shorter. 
And so um, the visual that I've had and then what I kept on telling my team about is we are running um, an ultra marathon. And I think ultra marathons have different lengths of miles, but I was like, let's say this ultra marathon is a hundred miles. So I've ran two marathons, but I've never ran a hundred marathons. So I have no idea what it feels like to run, you know, a hundred miles. Right. Um, and then I decided that not even a week was a mile. I, I decided that it took three weeks to equal a mile. So I'm just kind of like, you know, we're, we're, we've, we've only done a few miles and this may be, and if for some reason the marathon is only 50 miles, then we, we can celebrate that and be okay. So that, that helped me, that's helped me like overall, as far as just what does the season look like? But then I think in the compounding grief, it's been to look, remind, remember what humor or look, look for humor and also remember what my hope is in. And then also just to like, going back to like leading others is just talking about the pace, right? You, yeah. you cannot sprint in a marathon. Um, you can't even the, even this work of racial um, reconciliation, or I actually like the word um, conciliation, because I think it's more accurate to reflect what's ha- what needs to happen. Um, it's not, it, it, it is a, it is, it is a marathon. Like we have to run at a pace that we are still doing the work um, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years, you know, the rest of our life. So what does that look like to run at a certain pace? And, and that's hard, right? It's, you know, on my team, I'm, 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 I'm down FTE by one person. Um, you know, so, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to be innovative and trying to find new ways of helping um, our sponsors connect with their students, especially those who aren't able to travel. So you're, you're trying to be both innovative, but also be just aware of the pace that you're setting Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and to continue, continue to encourage others. What does it look like for our self-care? You know, how are we taking care of ourselves? How are we taking care of our family and just being really realistic about it and having grace right through all of this? Absolutely. And, and I love that in the umbrella of the compounding grief, you've been able to help us kind of look at two really important options or to, to find our way through. First, we have to acknowledge it. We have to be aware that this is, that grief is a weight. It is, it is a, an emotional weight. It is a mental weight, but it is also a physiological weight. And so for us to be able to be aware that pace is going to be affected, our focus is going to be affected. Our emotions are going to be affected. And to give grace for yourself, first off, again, leading yourself well, right? Then that models and gives opportunity to do the same for others. And to have, to know our hope in the rock that is higher than I, there is no other, right? That, that is our belief system. And at the same time to have that grace when people are feeling frantic because they don't have that groundedness and how can we love and be with those that don't have hope and and to me the opportunities are endless to just continue to to be present with people and to encourage with with hopeful words and and to add humor because humor like a smile it, it can be a great equalizer uh depending on how it's used of course 
and the appropriateness of what you are laughing at. (laughs) So there are some constraints. And I know that a lot of things don't always translate, you know, humor from our point of view isn't necessarily what's humor uh, in another culture. So all those things are true at the same time. And everything that you just finished saying, Trina, is, is kind of like already defining the last question that I love to ask people is what, if you were to be able to identify what does it mean for you as an individual and as a leader to be thriving in your answer about my pivot question, you really unpacked that a lot, but you might have something to add to that. So I don't want to assume that you've given us all you've got. <laughs> so what does it mean to you to, to thrive? I, I, when I saw the word thrive, I laughed because I um, had picked it as a, my one word of the year years ago. And oh. then it was like a year. And I don't think I sat with the word and really defined the word. Okay. Um, you've, you've interviewed Elizabeth Knox and uh, she's also been on the forward podcast. Yeah. And I so love how Elizabeth's wisdom around you need to define things for yourself. Right. So in her mm-hmm. case, you know, she talks about defining what her values are and then also defining what success means. Right. Um, and so I only recently, I feel like I'm doing the work to say, what is, what does thrive mean? Um, I think in the past, I think I've thought of the word of being like everything in your life is growing in all arenas. And, and, and I think that in some ways it feels like that's not really practical, right? Like we aren't always growing. Um, it doesn't mean that things are bad, but it just, we may not, there may not be certain growth in certain aspects areas of our life, right. but I, I don't think that that's a problem. But I think in the past, why I probably have shied away from the word is thinking that, you know, the garden is growing in all spots versus just maybe in a few. Mm-hmm. Um, if I lean into it more, I think that it does mean there's fruit in your life. Um, and so I think that that's an aspect of thriving. You know, do you see fruit? Do you see growth? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that growth um, also comes better when we have margin. And so that's probably, you know, I think when we have margin in our lives, we're able to learn we're able to reflect, uh, we're able to be more creative, we're able to be more innovative. And I think that those things all help with growth. So I think in in seasons when we're just, or in aspects of our our life that are just surviving, right? There isn't that margin that's needed for the growth. And it doesn't mean that later on though, you don't grow out of that um, time of surviving, right? Like we often can look back at seasons, um, really difficult seasons and see, growth or realize we are going to grow as a result of what we walk through or went through. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And so I think that that's when a thing, like, I think I have, have been thinking more about, especially in leading other people, like, do we have any margin? Because I think when we don't have margin in our work um, in particular and in other aspects, I mean, it's holistic, right. But mm-hmm. as I think about leading a team, it's like, when we have no margin, then are we able to be that creative and innovative? And then sometimes I think you just have to really say, this isn't important and we're going to do it, even though there are, you know, it goes back to the Stephen Covey things. What are those things that are important, um, but not urgent? Right. Um, and so I have, I have uh, the rocks. I, it's actually walnuts and rice right there. <laughs> it's my version of urgent and, and, you know, the, the big rocks that you have to put in yeah. first, right? 
Yeah. Exactly. And so in addition to those, um, you know, quarterly offsites that I have been trying to do, uh, we also like as a team have started to read a quarterly book together, right? Right. And, and there's times where it's like, before, yeah. yeah. And there's times where it feels like I really have other things to do today. Like, you know, I've got, you know, emails I need to do or this report I need to work on, but mm-hmm. we're, but we've committed to reading and it's been such, and so that's one of those things, right? Where you're creating that margin or you're creating space to do something, even though it doesn't feel like you really have the margin to do it. Right. Um, but there's just so much fruit, right? From, from one reading together and discussing, you know, not only are you, creating, you know, common language and experience, but it's building the team and you're, you're growing together, right? It's not just one person who's, who's growing, but you're kind of, you're, you're collectively growing together. So yeah. So when I think of, yeah, so those are some thoughts around thriving. I love that you, you know, you laughed at seeing that word and then are like willing to lean into it because, because I've talked to people that thrive. Are you kidding? I'm just barely surviving. And, and everything that you said really speaks to what it takes to move toward an idea of thriving, that, that there is evidence of, you know, the impact that the time that you've spent on self-care and reflection and planning and creating margin and defending margin. And of course we could get into boundaries and what that's like Mm -hmm. for people. And, and all of those intentions are going to lead to the production of fruit of growth in your life. And I think what I want to circle back to what you said about, you know, the original idea is that you're growing in all areas. Well, that would be overwhelming, wouldn't it? Because it would be a hundred percent change in every aspect of your life. And how do you manage that? And, you know, living things grow and growing things change to quote Christine Kane, one of my favorite quotes, but you have to have a, a, a space for rest and reflection and that has to be intentional as well and and i love what you said about your team can you be as creative when you don't have margin can you can you pivot and and adapt to circumstances without margin to think because if stuff is coming at you too quickly, then how, how are you going to, you know, bob and weave and not get hit by the things that are coming at you? So yeah, margin. I love that because that will help us see where we can continue to grow, where we have already grown. Like you said, you know, you look in the rear view mirror and you can reflect upon that hard season and oh growth came from that but oftentimes in the midst of it you don't recognize that's what's happening but you then have to pause Mm -hmm. and reflect Mm -hmm. and okay what can I take from this dumpster fire that I've just been through and move it into the future with me and what is going to you know be the ash that that gets blown away it's um there's so much in leadership isn't there yeah it is uh not just a, a 10 point checklist that you run down every day. Uh, some people might lead like that. And there are different styles of leadership out there in the world that uh, you can read about through HBR and know the data driven uh, aspects of it. But the one that I love the most is transformational leadership because for me, and it sounds like for you as Christ followers, 
we know that we're meant to change and grow in order to become more Christ-like. So that's, that's the rest of life here on earth. And so to be humble and see, oh yeah, this is, this is something I need to be attending to and be intentional about and, and lead yourself well. I love everything you've said, Trina. Thank you so much. I know that uh, people are going to want to connect with Africa New Life and what is forward, and uh, you know, because that's how we're colleagues. Yeah. And um, it has been one of my greatest joys in the past six years since the first time that you and I had a telephone conversation, just to get to know you and your consistency and your perseverance when there's a lot that's been coming at you and you make a commitment and you show up. And so people, you need to connect with this woman because she's an excellent leader and her voice needs to be heard and, and uh, shared in many places. So I'm so thankful that we had this time together today, Trina. Again, thank you so much for pushing back on the calendar and, and being intentional with your time in this way. Oh, it was great. Thank you, Lisa, for the opportunity.